Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly podcast, where you'll get the real rundown of what's going on in Scottish politics. We have the interviews, the gossip, and sometimes the laughs. So please join us. And remember, when anyone tells you they're not interested in politics, you tell them you know a podcast that can help them out with that. And you can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. So enjoy. Well, with everything going on in Scottish politics right now, particularly for the SNP, which has been the party of government for 14 years, it's hard to believe that we're just nine weeks away from the next election. But let's reflect back. And on July 2nd, 2016, and in the wake of the divisive vote that was to take the UK out of the EU, remember those happy times, the Queen formally opened the fifth session of the Scottish Parliament. She stressed then the need for calm. She acknowledged that leadership could sometimes be hard, but she added, and forgive me, but I'm not going to do the Queen's accent, as this Parliament has successfully demonstrated over the years, one hallmark of leadership in such a fast-moving world is allowing sufficient room for which we can enable deeper consideration of how challenges and opportunities can be best addressed. Wise words. But it might be worth reflecting on those words today, as the Scottish Parliament Committee set up to explore how the Scottish Government managed to botch up a harassment complaints process against the former First Minister Alex Salmond, which ultimately cost the taxpayer upwards of half a million pounds, and could yet see the position of our formidable First Minister threatened. Anyway, regardless of what happens this week with that inquiry, On March 25th, the Scottish Parliament will go into dissolution ahead of the next election, marking the end of the fifth Scottish Parliament and of yet another political era. And as Scots go to the polls, a number of Scotland's political veterans depart the parliamentary stage. MSPs who have served at Holyrood both in government and on the back benches since those very early days of 1999. Big beasts like Mike Russell, Rosanna Cunningham, Alex Neil, Linda Fabiani, Stuart Stevenson and one of today's guests, Bruce Crawford. They've almost all been MSPs for the full 22 years and have all held senior roles across government. There are of course worries about how much experience we're losing, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. But also, as another of today's guests can testify, Kate Forbes MSP, you can learn very fast. But for all MSPs in this Parliament, there have been five years of big politics and policy formulation as the nation got to grips with both Brexit and Covid and grappled with major global issues like Trump being in power, like climate change and preparing for COP26, while at the same time having to focus on solutions to uniquely local issues like the rising number of drug-related deaths. Amid it all, there have been groundbreaking policies, like the provision of free sanitary products, and there's also been a new social security system established. So as Scotland prepares to go to the polls, we are marking this historic election and the end of the fifth session of the Scottish Parliament in a series of of end-of-an-era podcast interviews with key figures from the era. Today, Bruce Crawford, who was elected in 1999 and served in the first SNP minority government in 2007 and then again in 2011 when the party won a majority, he's also remained a high-profile backbench MSP as the convener of the Finance Committee. Bruce is one of the so-called greybeards who is standing down, so he brings with him today a great wisdom and also the fact that he's credited with being one of Holyrood's nicest parliamentarians, which isn't a bad title to have, is it? 
Kate Forbes, the MSP for Skye, Lochaba and Bad Dunlock, who was only elected in 2016 and immediately tipped to the top, and was really thrown in at the deep end last February with the departure of Derek Mackay on the eve of his budget, and she stepped very adequately into those shoes. Kate's the first woman to hold the role of Finance Secretary in any parliament across our nations, and she has just presented a budget which has got through stage one. And Stephen Blackman, Principal Economist with NatWest, who's going to be able to walk us through Scotland's economic picture, the challenges we face, and some of the trends that might emerge. And I'm sure Kate will be taking some notes. So, Bruce, is being nice a necessary quality to get you through 22 years of being an MSP? Well, it's better than what Robert McNeil once said to me in, uh, in The Scotsman, when he said, after one of my less glorious speeches, that I was like a donkey quoting Prost. <laughs> being nice is certainly better than that. Um, well, I guess if you asked the Labour um, Liberal coalition, whether I was nice during their period of election, you might, a period in government, you might find a different response from them, because at that stage obviously it was an opposition. And you may recall all the problems around Cryptus Viridium and trying Malahit, I'm not even going to try and say the word, um, uh, at the Loch Catron and then the, the attack dog that at that stage was Bruce Crawford, which I learned from, I hope, because it, it actually wasn't very good politics. Uh, and uh, I, I think I've learned to, as we've gone on, to adjust my style and be, and recognise that there's a better way of doing this job. Uh, you can get on with people, you can get the job done, and you can create alliances to make sure that you can get your point across. You don't always need to beat down the door. Kate, for you coming in in 2016, I, I mean, it has been a really fast learning curve, which we can talk about, but are you worried about the amount of experience that we're losing this term as well? Absolutely, I think uh, I am. I know I benefited back in 2016 from the wisdom and the experience that had gone before me. And you don't realise there is no manual for doing politics. There is no guidebook for navigating the parliament. You're chucked in at the deep end, having to manage all your caseload, recruiting the right team, figuring out how to you know, work with the, the media, as well as just basic things like voting, how the voting um, boxes work. And in all that, you need to seek out wisdom, guidance, advice. And, you know, people like Bruce have been hugely helpful along the way. And so for the next cohort of newbies, as it were, I hope there are still some people left that they can look to for help and advice. Bear in mind, it doesn't just uh, mean you, you go look into your own party for help. You know, actually, there's good friendships and good relationships across party lines. And I can recall very early on asking, would you believe it? I dare not say it in public, but a Tory for a bit of help with, with a particular case that I was struggling with because they had um, helped somebody else uh, that was similarly facing those issues. Stephen, in terms of that kind of changeover of politicians, do, is that something that concerns you or do you feel that you just have to look at the, the economic picture, look at the trends that are happening and advise accordingly when you're asked questions, if you like? So more the latter. Um, you know, we have done some research into whether changes of administration uh, and what that means for economic growth. And there really is no real picture, actually. Um, in terms of what it means for the economy. 
But actually, what the economy is, 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 is the interaction of, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, of transactions, of interactions. Um, and that's just the same, you know, with, uh, with, an, with an administration. Um, so, um, you know, we, we, whether as economists in terms of advisors or, or just as, as, as individuals need to kind of respond to, you know, uh, kind of changes um, um, in, in terms of what kind of what people want, what they expect, because ultimately this is about um, producing good policies, policies that actually help you know, the economic and kind of social and, and kind of wider kind of cultural growth of, of, of Scotland, um, you know, and that's always progressing. That's always an ongoing dialogue. And, and for you, Kate, I mean, how heavy is that burden? I mean, right now, you know, you've taken up the reins of finance secretary as we went into lockdown. Um, we've got huge challenges ahead and we're going into an election in 10 weeks. Well, of course, it's a heavy burden. The job is a heavy burden, as anybody who holds these roles will know. And like you say, I was uh, barely weeks into the job before the pandemic uh, started. In fact, I was saying at my budget stage one speech that when I last gave a stage one speech, we didn't have, we hadn't started the response to COVID. So it's a very heavy burden. There's business support to manage, there's economic recovery, there's just the day job of getting a budget through and agreeing to, to various spending requests. And on top of that, there's a very heavy caseload with every business it feels in my constituency and indeed across the country getting in touch. So there's all that. And, you know, people need help. They need they need assurance. And every minute of every day is, is devoted to that. I think at a time like this, actually, it sucks the politics out of it. Well, at the beginning, it did. I think some of the politics has crept back in. But like we've seen with this year's budget, actually, most parties' asks are very, very similar. My budget meets most of their asks. And that may show you that the politics is more in rhetoric than in substance. And actually, Bruce, you'll have seen a lot of that over the years. I mean, when you think about what it was like trying to get things through a minority government and then a majority government, and now um, a government that's also dealing with a pandemic, the changes that you must have seen around all of that, what what is the characteristic? What is needed to steer people through this? Well, I think that you know one of the biggest changes that have certainly come in over the, the, the period, the complexity of the budget process in Scotland at this moment is just incredible. Right? The Barnett formula is difficult enough, but and I always think there's somebody, some mandarin somewhere in the treasury, weavering away all on their own working through how this Barnett formula works, because although we all think we've got a good idea of it, actually nobody's got a clue about actually how this is put together. And you ask any of the academics, I think they'll tell you that's the case. There's no transparency. And on top of that, the difficulty that Kate's got, the fiscal framework, the block grant adjustment process. So yeah, we've also we've got two sets of forecasters, the Office of Budget Responsibility and the Scottish Fiscal Commission making forecasts for the amount of income tax we're going to raise. So this is a complex, very difficult confusion and, frankly, impenetrable system that needs to change. And Kate's having to deal with all that on top of the, the usual negotiations that go on and making the decisions she's having to make. So I think, actually, the environment, together with, obviously, trying to get 
a proper recovery from COVID, dealing with the inequalities that have been exacerbated for those in low pay, those less educated. Uh, this is probably the most challenging time for to put any budget together. I, I, I really don't envy Kate, and I think she's done an incredible job in what she's so far put on the table for Parliament. And I hope at this stage there's enough consensus in Parliament to recognise that we are in a pandemic, we are in a crisis, and that the budget can be passed unanimously. I think there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there, but Bruce, but the main one being for me, you've been up close to both um, Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon and the leadership that is required to get us through different stages that Scotland is going through. I mean, right now, how important is that leadership? Well, we're in the middle of the, the worst crisis in my lifetime, the worst crisis in most people's lifetimes um, in the shape of the COVID pandemic, um, probably the worst crisis outside wars. And in these circumstances, you need real leadership. And I think Nicola Sturgeon, and the way she's... And real leadership's really about four, four quick things I'll mention. First of all, admitting when you're making mistakes, which she's doing. Um, also, leading by example. Trying to motivate others to do the right thing. But the most important thing of all uh, for leaders, as far as I'm concerned, is that those who hand out the praise to others. Because that's what she's done on a daily basis to scientists or medical people, those involved in the National Health Service on the front line, and those involved in the care of her elderly. And that's marked her out for me to be a pretty special leader at a very, very, very challenging time. Nobody else in the devolution era has had to go through this experience. And I guess, Stephen, that's where I wanted to come to you, that when polit politicians are having to deal with unprecedented times, do economists just make life difficult for them? Well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I hope, I hope that the best of us, um, and it's something that I've really been quite conscious of, um, particularly, you know, since, you know, this time last year, is that you need to harness, you know, and, and a massive knowledge, given the complexity of the situation, the interaction of all the different component parts, then, you know, one individual, one um, discipline, as in economics, is, is not going to provide even a partial answer. What you need to do is to try and look across the board to bring, you know, as Bruce was, was just saying then, you know, the medical profession, the scientists, the economists, the, 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 the sociologists, the historians, the psychologists, all these people together um, with the politicians uh, to try and solve this, this problem. And I think that, you know, that we, you know, there are good bits and lots of bad bits about COVID. But I think some of the, the kind of more positive bits have been about, working together and um, particularly kind of the interdisciplinary parts of working together to solve complex social and scientific and biological kind of uh, issues in real time um, and I hope that economists have been able to provide some support for, uh, for kind of like uh, within that process. I mean Kate for you when um, it is about bringing all of that expertise together to then funnel, if you like, into the economic picture and you have to then produce a plan for the future. Where do the politics come into that? Are you trying to cut through all of the facts that you're given but also having to think about the politics and having to think that you've got an election coming up? 
I think politics genuinely have been ditched in the decision making because if you think about it, I would echo Bruce's comments about Nicola Sturgeon. I think she has been absolutely incredible in the way that she's managed the hopes of a nation. By that, I mean, hope is really easy to dish out, but very hard to sustain. And to be a, a leader at a time of crisis, you have to be willing to counter uh, or countenance uh, unpopulism. Uh, you have to be willing to do things that are difficult. And if you think when it comes to managing the multiple harms, we've got the harms of COVID, we've got the economic harms, we've got the wider societal harms of loneliness and isolation or education, and we've got the wider health harms. And it's a brave leader that tries to balance those multiple harms. And in my job, I'm basically trying to fund the mitigations against those multiple harms. And when you are responding to businesses on an hourly basis, when you're responding to constituents on an hourly basis, there's very little politics in how you manage to respond to each of those harms. And certainly in this budget, I have tried to do that, try to protect households, try to protect businesses. And I think you'll see from the political rhetoric and the fact that there hasn't been huge amounts of criticism from other parties about the budget that we've we've got the balance right. It's interesting. I, I guess this is for all of you, but Stephen, as an economist, does hope get funneled into your calculations? Yes, yeah, certainly hope is is um, you know is really important. Um, clearly, not just from an economic perspective. <laughs> um, uh, um, you know. Um, much more from a psychological uh, and, and wider societal one. Um, but, you know, the way that people respond, that's the most uh, difficult thing about thinking about the future, which I have to do quite a lot, um, is how much is to do with norms, which tend to be relatively quick to change, and how much to do with values, which are much more sticky. Um, and therefore, when we're trying to see about, well, how will people respond when things hopefully do start to open up, let's say, um, how quickly will people want to go back to um, a kind of social life that replicates what went before? Or how much will things might have changed in terms of people's outlook, expectations, fears, all those things? And, you know, incredibly complex to kind of calculate or even less to kind of kind of quantify. Um, so um, you have to try to build in not only hope, but also, um, in a sense, values and, you know, expectations and behaviours um, when you're trying to kind of work out what the kind of future societal and economic landscape kind of might be. I think that's interesting, Bruce, the, the, the idea of hope. I mean, do you feel that hope has become almost a theme for going into this election? We're hopeful for what might happen. I think it's probably been a theme for, actually, for the, for the SNP in terms of a number of elections, you know, trying to be as aspirational as we can be about Scotland's future. But I, I guess for this particular election, because that's what you, you've asked me to comment on, I think it's going to be one of the, the, the main themes because... I guess Stephen, in terms of his his role as an economist, and, and he mentioned how hope is obviously something to take into account because if there's a bit of hope, people might actually be prepared to spend a bit more. And if they're spending a bit more on the economy, that obviously can be a helpful thing, provided they're in a situation where they can can afford it. Uh, so hope, aspiration, 
Um, and uh, uh, the, the looking forward for that better opportunity, I think, will necessarily be part of the, this election because it's all about how we how we going to build back better. And that's I don't like that cliche because it's been used too much, but it's it's still appropriate. Um, and in a situation to be able, in particular, as I was mentioned just in Parliament yesterday, if we're going to be building hope, it's got to be for everybody, because those who are in parts of the economy where they've where they've not been protected as well from the ravages of the, the, the tragic times we live in, you know, whether they're the, those in the lower income brackets or those who are less well educated, inequality is, I think, no doubt has become a, a has been exacerbated, and therefore we've got to find ways to find hope for everybody in this journey back to what whatever normal will look like. Uh, and I just hope that we can find ways to to achieve that. Uh, otherwise, we're going to end up with an even more unequal society and a, a more challenging future. So we've got to take everybody with us on this journey. I mean, Kate, you and I um, have talked previously about hope itself. I mean, I, I guess um, going forward, uh, I guess you hope that this time next year, you're not in having gone from having to step into Derek's shoes last February to then presenting your budget this February during COVID. I presume you hope it might be in different circumstances next year. Oh, I think we all hope for that because the other element to this is that each of us making the de these decisions, each of us trying to help constituents or um you know do the numbers on the future like Stephen are also living through it I've got friends and I've got family I'm in lockdown like everybody else and I long for the day that we have all our freedoms restored because it is not pleasant and I, I know it's it's easier for some than for others but even just how we do our work uh, being able to engage with constituents being out and about in the community but yes Building on that, I want to be, as, as Bruce said, be in the process of, of economic recovery, where we do things differently in a year's time than they were done a year ago. And I think there's huge opportunities for the Scottish economy. Some sectors and industries have taken a particularly hard hit. I hope that some areas, you know, like tourism or hospitality in the Highlands and Islands, will bounce back better because um, we're all going to be doing our staycations. But there'll be other sectors that are struggling. And I think there's opportunities on the horizon too, particularly around tech and digital for Scotland that I, I hope we harness the benefits of. I mean, actually, Stephen, in terms of that, in terms of opportunities, um, clearly this has been a hellish time for everybody. But do you think Scotland can capture some opportunities? There can be positives out of this? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you can build a lot of positives um, um, against, you know, a backdrop which is, you know, incredibly challenging. And I'll kind of address those. And I think some of the positives are actually about addressing some of the negatives, particularly around the inequality kind of point. I mean, a lot we've talked about today is actually about power. What COVID has done is kind of cut through actually all of us have limited amounts of power um, because something can happen that can easily just take that away. And we have to share that. We have to share, in a sense, um, the building blocks in order to kind of to kind of empower kind of all, like all like all of us. And then when you take the phrase, I've got less of a trouble with build out back better actually. 
because I see it as as much about building society back better as it is about building an economy back better. In fact, building them both is as much a societal as an economic one. Because it's interesting that in 2016, which is what we're kind of covering, was both, of course, the Brexit vote and also uh, the election of Donald Trump, both of which, in a sense, were cause and consequences of wider societal issues that probably needed to be addressed in terms of uh, kind of rising bifurcation of of opportunity, um, particularly around what's happening with technology. And if you think about what COVID has done, is put a rocket fuel in terms of the digital adaptation across uh, society, which is beneficial for some, but not for others. So it widens kind of disparities and adds a few more in terms of your ability to work from home or not, and therefore the time you can get your focus on the local area and all, and all that kind of stuff. So we do need from a, a society within Scotland to, in a sense, build back better um, in a way that is more um, kind of unifying for, for all of us and opportunity, you know, to provide opportunities for all of us. At the same time, technology, as we say, has accelerated kind of rapidly um, as has the, the knowledge economy and knowledge workers. And if you think about the strength of the Scottish economy and wider society in terms of its higher education sector, in terms of its R&D within that, in terms of its link between the university center sector and, and kind of business, when we think about the need for green investment and green job and the jobs and the transition to net carbon new, neutrality, there is opportunity here um, within Scotland and the creative sectors. I mean, I'm very much skills will be dominant. And, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, it is a STEAM, not a STEM, i.e. you need the arts within the wider kind of STEM in order to kind of make it relatable to people. Businesses need that. And Scotland has all of that. So we just need to get it right um, because we have the right ingredients. There you go, Kate. We just need to get it right. Are you up for that? No. <laughs> I'm up for it, but I think it's 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 easier to talk about than than to deliver. But equally, I think we've got a lot of things in our favour. One, emerging from this, it does need to be a national endeavour. It's not up to any individual politician uh, to 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 deliver. It's you know we've been through something very tough uh, as a as a wide national community. And that needs to carry forward into into recovery and and building uh, our recovery um, to be stronger uh, than it was uh, before the pandemic. And I think that's possible. So we've got that in our favour. Secondly, we have got a talented, skilled population. We have got great natural resources. We have got all the building blocks that we need. We know things like tech and digital digital forecast to be the second fastest growing sector in Scotland by 2024. I think that's been accelerated. We've seen so many small and medium-sized enterprises embracing uh, technology. We've seen it uh, accelerated in, in health and other public uh, services. So secondly, we've got the, the resources that we need. Uh, thirdly, it needs leadership. And, and again, we've come through a pandemic I refer you back to my comments that when it comes down to, if you listen to the political debate, most people are saying uh, similar things, but it will be through consensus that we that we uh, you know build um, the 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 economy that we want. And again, not to keep harping on about my budget, but if you listen to most politicians, even those who say they won't support the budget, 
are saying it's got the right ingredients to it. So I think there's a general consensus on what we need. And if we park the politics and the the constant sniping and, and carping, it's so easy to stand up and rail against something so much harder to actually produce solutions. But if we get that right, and you know, I think we can we can get there. I mean, Bruce, that idea that um, we have all been something together. And I know when I spoke to the first minister, gosh, time seems to have taken on a different dimension, but probably uh, just this time last year, she she said even then. Um, it must have actually been into lockdown, but she said even then that she felt that this was going to, she would be a different person coming out of this pandemic. What can we all take from being changed by this or or all having a shared experience? Well, that's that, that shared experience can be a remarkable, powerful thing in terms of unifying people um, and, and trying to draw them into that national endeavour that, Kate talked about, because I do think it, that is what we require, um, and, and it will require in Scotland, you know, government, parliament, the, the various stakeholders of, of, of Scotland to, and the community of Scotland working together as best as we can. And I, I had a, a real hope at one stage during this, there's that wonderful word hope again, isn't it, uh, the pa- pandemic that this might change politics, that we might be in a situation where, you know, people were prepared to lay aside some of the the, the political baggage and some of the grievance that can go with it. And we might get a kinder, more thoughtful, more considered way of doing our politics. I'm not so sure now, um, as we come into an election period, that that's going to sustain itself, which is, I think, a, a great pity, because it was a real opportunity there too to do things differently and I, I still think that opportunity is there that everybody needs to be willing to take it. I suppose the question I, I want to ask you all is and I'll start with you Bruce is has this experience changed you? Oh yes it's significantly changed me I mean but I think all of us will, will have to accept that at some stage during this we had our own mental health challenges I certainly did um, at the beginning I was if I'm being honest um, in a bit of a panic about my family, about those around about me. I'm sure many people felt like that. How we would survive this? What was going to be the outcome? No one could see at that stage the way through. And for a long time, it was dark, um, particularly at the beginning. And then we had the summer period where everyone looked a bit brighter and we felt a bit happier about life. And of course, we know what's happened since. And all I can say at this stage is thank goodness for the scientists um, and, the, and the medical people who managed to produce what seems to be at this stage um, a, a route out of this pandemic through the vaccine programme, which has been utterly remarkable in terms of its rollout. So, so I've been through a gambit of, of the full range of emotions from deep despair to moments of during the summer of real relief and joy, back into that darker place. But I genuinely now beginning to see, it might be because I'm about to retire, of course, Mandy, rather than seeing the end of the pandemic. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to see there's a real end to this now. And my mood has definitely improved. And like everyone who's had their first shot of the vaccine, like I've had, actually that first shot of the vaccine into your arm, 
although it was sore for a couple of days and I felt a bit grotty, it did lift my mood considerably, and I know that's been an experience I've heard from many others too. So I just invite everybody to take that vaccine as quickly as they can. Right, let's get through this. Stephen, turning to you, I mean, almost putting your economy hat to one side, how have you felt going through this and has it changed you? Yeah, I mean, to be candid, I've actually had a very di uh, difficult time personally, actually. Um, um, but I think longer term, it will lead to a much better outcome for me personally. And I'm hoping that that is a microcosm of how we are as a society in in, in Scotland, actually. Um, in that, I think I've come through this kinder, to give, bring back to our original discussion, um, more thoughtful in terms of how other people may be, and also how we should never ever judge on appearances and how people are acting. Um, um, and always, you know, take a step back before we quickly reach a conclusion about something or someone. That's interesting, Kate, isn't it? I mean, just finally, you know, you and I have talked before about how quick people are to come to judgments. Has this changed you as well? Well, if I could talk about my, my outlook, perhaps, and then me individually, I think I've come out equal parts more hopeful about Scotland's future and more despondent. Because I do think that some in the political sphere have met the moment. You know, the debates have been more intelligent, more thoughtful. But I think they are noticeable by exception. And I'm not sure that our political debates have been as in-depth and as thought through as they could and should have been. And Bruce, just finally, given you you're the grey beard round this table, what what what's your advice for the sixth session of the Parliament? What would you like to see happen? Well, let me talk about what I think individuals who come who who are coming in should be what they should be thinking about in Mandy in that regard. Um, because it's something I have thought about and considered. What what would I say to a new person coming in? I think I'd say to them. Try to play the long game in building your credibility. Uh, Recognise you're in a privileged position. Having been elected, it's an incredible honour. And with that, show a bit of humility. Try to respect the, the views of others and be honest about who you are and don't be something you're not. I think there are too many people I've seen in politics over the last 22 years in Parliament and 33 years in the elected position. They've tried to make themselves out something they're not. And don't get drawn into it. And I know it's hard, the cheap political point scoring, by having insults at others. Uh, just be polite. And I know it's a challenge, but we do need a more polite form of politics as we move forward into a new era post-pandemic. And I'm, I think there's a real chance we could do that. And uh, if people just respect each other a bit more and respect their views. And talking about respecting each other's views, the week in Parliament ended with the extraordinary spectacle of the former First Minister, Alex Salmond, appearing before the committee set up to explore what went wrong with the Scottish Government's handling of harassment complaints against him.
This was a much-awaited appearance amid a lot of speculation about what he might say and whose heads he might call for. In the event, his marathon six-hour evidence session was not the bombastic salmon that many expected, but a calm, measured and very focused salmon, which was frankly all the more powerful. This was the very clear reminder of why this man had been Scotland's first minister. His level of recall was impressive and his detailed knowledge of government process quite naturally immense because he'd introduced a lot of the things he was talking to. He wasn't tempted into plunging into wild-eyed conspiracy theories, but instead stuck to the very point of what this committee was set up to do, to pick apart the complaints process that the Scottish government had followed and get to the core of why it had all gone wrong. He was clear about why certain heads should rule for the mistakes made, but more dangerously, perhaps, gave the impression of a Scotland broken by the current government of it. This is a Scotland that he, the man that took the country to the very brink of independence, would potentially not vote for independence if it meant putting your faith in the current institutions. That's frightening. Clearly, the headline that some were angling for was him saying that Nicola Sturgeon should resign, but he wasn't prepared to say that. He said he would leave others to make that decision. Well, Nicola Sturgeon is in front of the committee on Wednesday. Some see this as her fight for survival. Personally, I don't see it like that. And I'm pretty sure she'll be the leader of the SNP that takes the party into the election and on to victory again. After that, though, I find it harder to predict. But what I would say is that in all of this, Salmond has nothing left to lose. And it is his successor that has been damaged by the ins and outs of this process and the role of her and her government in making mistakes in a process that has cost the country dear in all kinds of ways. As someone much greater than I said, a week is a very long time in politics. And believe me, I know Scottish politics is never boring. So don't leave it long. Make sure you come back and join us on Politically Speaking. And remember that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And do tell your friends because everybody has an interest in politics.